Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Um, tonight's topic, we're going we're gonna to do a plot slash trope drift about the central theme versus the minor trope, which I think is important because um, a lot of times people will start with a minor trope and then wonder why their project fizzles out and they can't get a whole novel out of it. So we're going to talk about that. Um, a little housekeeping. Um, rough trade signups close in two hours. So, if you intend to participate in July, you need to take your butt over to Rough Trade and sign up, like, right now. Because after I finish the podcast this evening, I will be closing signups. Signups, not project files. Your project files are due on the 25th. And also, I am aware that the announcement section of Rough Trade in the Communication Center is broken. Still working on it. I'm aware. I know I know it's a problem. Um, I hope to see that fixed soon. Um, I actually haven't checked Rough Trade today to see if we have any submissions. Motherfucker. Um, but yes, so um, there are three there are three signups pending. Okay, that's good. There was somebody on MeWe talking about submitting. So let me see. Um, Lady Holder, are you in the chat? I don't see you. Get over here to Craig. Um, the person who was talking about signing up on MeWe has not signed up yet. So, um, <gasps> someone's going to do Kong Skull Island. I'm so excited. Oh my God. Awesome. So much awesome. Tom Hiddleston in his perfect t-shirt. <laughs> I couldn't be more excited if I tried. <laughs> okay, so let's get started. But, um, Julian, come over here and talk about this. I want to go over to MeWe and tell that person who was talking about signing up that she's got two hours to do so. What am I talking about? The topic that you suggested? <laughs> I'm hearing myself really loud. Mm. Oh, I have my live preview on. I'll just turn that fucker off. Because that's just not cricket. 
There she is. I'm going to I'm going to pause myself so I can type a message to her. Okay. Yeah. Although her, Kira's typing is like typing apparently my typing freaks people out. <laughs> so I will endeavor not to freak people out. I did want to mention I got 3 people wrote me asking me if my kitchen burned down last night. No, it did not. I I sprinted off the podcast because of something else. <laughs> we had to go throw up. So that was a whole different kettle of fish, but the kitchen was fine. Um, so we were talking about, uh, Carrie and I were talking about last night, is that when you when you look at the subject of tropes, there are enormous, huge tropes, right? That are your, that are huge overarching themes. And then there are little tropes. Um, they're very like pinpoint specific. Like sometimes you'll get a scene out of it. Sometimes you can build on it. Um, and it, well, depending on the length of your story, it would, you might be able to get a whole story out of it. But if you think about, we were looking at popular tropes and um, like the most popular tropes in fan fiction. And man, after looking at TV tropes list of fan fiction tropes last night, I just am just going to avoid that, that site from, for all eternity because they're, epically negative about fan fiction um they're dicks we huh she is a bit tinny on the podcast but she's fine in the recording so it's cool okay um so um okay that's giving me a headache um let me pause that yeah please don't post um animated gifs in the chat um during the podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, so like, for instance, one of the tropes super popular apparently in fan fiction is um, cuddling for warmth or huddling for warmth. Um, you might, that's, that's not, a, that's not a thematic. I would not call that a thematic trope unless no. you're like, your entire story set out, you know, on the tundra and no boat. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not going to, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is a fluff bingo square. And there's a, there's like a 500 word minimum on that, or maybe a thousand. I don't remember what I wrote down, but it is not a thematic trope, right? You can't uh, call that an overarching theme, huddling for warmth or whatever. And, um, but if they're in a Canadian shack, <laughs> if they're now Canadian shack could definitely now that I would normally typically anything that specific, I, you tend to think of as being uh, very pinpoint. But Canadian shack that could definitely be an overarching theme. Let's just take a moment to thank the Do South fandom. Yeah, thank for the you, Canadian South. shack. There's, we often are double birding fan. Oh, I know what's wrong. We're often double birding fandoms. Um, but we'll we'll get we'll do a good thank you on that one. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the, where did my where'd my damn link go? <laughs> Motherfucker, there. No, no. There's no R rating on this podcast now. Um. Yep. Actually, on CastBox, I have to just help check a little box called explicit. But I don't know what their definition of explicit is. <laughs> because when they uploaded all my Ready to Arc podcasts, they didn't mark a single one of them explicit. I had to go find that butt sex one. 
and mark it explicit because right <laughs> that wasn't it wasn't it was that okay okay i don't think they actually paid attention to the ratings when they were when, when they were putting them up well of course they didn't listen to them there was over 370 podcasts they put up for me but i don't think they paid attention to the to the rating that i gave them on blog talk Apparently not. I had to go in and edit them all. Just make them, just mark them all explicit, just in case. Yeah, you don't want anybody, you know, thinking something's G-rated and getting the magical butt sex mystery tour. Tour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when we were looking at the really popular tropes, we were looking at, you know, there's this uh, site called fansplaining.com, and these. These ladies, they love statistics, I'm just saying. And they do surveys, and then they give you all different kinds of slices on the data. And when they look at um, the most popular tropes and themes that are the most beloved, when it comes to the list, well, I'll give you the top, the top list. I think it's 10. Yeah, 10. Uh, it's Friends to Lovers, Canon Divergent AU, slow burn, rescue mission, bed sharing, teamwork, fluff, hurt comfort, huddling for warmth, and mutual pining. Now, some of those could easily, are definitely an overarching theme. Um, some of them are, I'm, I would almost call them more of a fan fiction genre, but like, I think fluff and hurt comfort as genres, not as tropes personally, but you know, fan fiction has its own little genres that are unique to itself right and mm -hmm. i would definitely call her comfort and fluff genres not tropes but whatever friends to lovers i would call a trope and i would call that an overarching theme it is uh, most definitely a thematic trope because yeah i mean you can you can make a whole book out of that yeah and people do um slow burn not a favorite theme of mine, but it is an overarching theme. It's just, it's very focused on one thing, which is them not getting together. <laughs> but also, people have varying ideas of what a slow burn is. I mean, I can handle 50K of slow burn, but I can't handle 500K of slow burn where my, where my couple meet in the last 200 words. Yeah, that's or, not a slow burn. No, that's a cop tease. I read the story. I gave up. I gave up at the half a million word mark. It's at a million words now. The the pairing, the main pairing, met in the first uh, five thousand words. They are still not together. I periodically go check to see if they've gotten together because I gave up at half a million words. And every time an update goes up, I go see if they're together. They're still not together. It, this is a million words of slow burn. That is not Which slow. Is, no, that's not a slow burn. That is like Pluto's position to versus the sun. You know, um, I can kind of deal with Venus's position to the sun as a, in terms of slow burn, but not much more than that. I can't give it away because it's a fairly small fandom and I can't say what the fandom is because it is a small fandom. It would totally give it away. Um, but yeah, hey, that's but, right. Dark. She said, that's not a burn. It's an ice age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of darks <laughs> um so we uh of the popular tropes so friends to lovers is definitely a theme canon divergent au i would call that a genre slow burn 
unfortunate theme, but a theme. Rescue mission. Hmm. Whenever so I hear the word rescue, I think of that moment in SG-1 where Felger and Coombs fucked up SG-1's mission. And he pops out of the vent and gives them that big cheesy grin and says, we're here to rescue you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do think Rescue Mission could be an entire novel, but more often than not, it's a single subplot, not an overarching theme. So it kind of depends on what you're doing with it. Bed sharing. I think of that as being more of a minor trope than an overarching theme, but you could have a whole bundling board thing going on, you know, where the whole story is focused on, you know, dealing with harvesting corn during the day and the bundling board at night and the bed sharing is a big deal. I'm not judging. You do you. Teamwork. uh, uh, Teamwork. Teamwork is an overarching theme. Um, Yeah. It's a boring one too. (laughs) It is boring. Yeah. It's a little meh. Uh, I would say, a, you know, in, in the fandoms I read, a lot of the ones that are true teamwork for the whole story are, are Jen. Um, and since I'm a romance writer and mostly a romance writer and a romance reader, not always, I do stray. But I, my primary interest is in romance and in, and in pairing dynamics and that kind of thing. So I don't read. Um, I would guess that maybe only 10% of my reading is Jen. So the stuff I like that- to make a family too. I like a family vibe. Yeah, family's nice. Family fic is actually more interesting to me than team team fic, but um, but so that but I I would say I I definitely agree that that is an overarching theme. So it's it's a thematic trope teamwork fluff I would call a genre hurt comfort a genre huddling for warmth is a minor trope and Lord help us on number ten mutual pining. Um, I want to stab mutual pining in, in the head and then bury it in my backyard. Set it on fire first, please, because we don't need that coming back. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. Someone asked up in the chat room up, up a little bit whether fix it is a trope or a genre. It is a trope. It can't be a genre because if it was. The only way you could write a fix it in original fiction is if you wrote an alternate history and then it becomes an alternate history. Does that make sense? Um, you blipped out for about oh. 10 or 15 seconds. Oh, well, I was um, gonna, well let, me, let me back up again. Let me say. Um, actually, anybody who, anybody who Kira blipped out for Disconnect and reconnect. We'll just halt for like 10 seconds to let you guys do that. I think the server had a blip. Okay. Um, we can always edit that part out later. Okay. What I was saying is, is that um, a fix-it is a trope. Because a fix-it has no place in original fiction. If you write a fix it in original fiction, it's usually because you're writing an alternate history, which already has a genre. I can't think of a single instance where I could successfully write a fix it in original work. 
I mean, no, because the whole point is that you're fixing something you don't like in the canon of a circum of a of a fandom. So fix it has to be a trope. But even if you argue that it is a, even if you wanted to make the argument that fan fiction has some unique genres, it, I don't think it quite applies just because it, um, it doesn't apply. You can't apply it across the board. Right. I mean, there are some unique genres in fandom that are getting um, traction in original fiction. Mel Prague is one. Um, uh, ABO is another, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> and so those those transcend fandom but fix it can't because you know, like I said the only thing you can fix is history and that's an alternate history and there's already a genre for that if you write a novel where the the American Civil War didn't happen Or that slavery didn't happen in the United States. Those are considered alternate histories. If you write a romance novel set in Scotland where uh, Robert the Bruce um, is the king and William Wallace was never executed, you're writing an alternate history. So, but in a way, then you could say that a fix it is analogous to. An alternate, alternate history. history. Yeah. So, in that sense, you could kind of look at it as a genre, but it's so fandom specific that right. So it's so if you you know just from a professional point of view, if you want to write something like an alternate history, don't go around calling it a fix it to publishers or editors that you're trying to sell it to because they'll be like, what what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> yeah. But it is um, it is thematic. Whether you call it, whether you want to look at it as a as the fandom version of an alternate alternate history, it's called a fix it, or whether you want to look at it as a trope, it is a thematic. It's a it's thematic in its way. So it it is not um, pin, it's not pinpoint. It's not a minor trope. If you're writing a fix it, it should it should have an effect on your entire story. It should be like what your major plot is hung, is hung on. Um, but like mutual pining, I mean, you could have that be a thematic trope. Oh, I mean, this, this is personal preference coming out, right? Uh, I, I would, I'd ha personally hate that, but if you really dig mutual pining and apparently a lot of people do because of all the tropes in the world that they, that they ask people about, it came up number 10. What the fuck ever, man. So there's a lot of people who like to see their characters pine for each other. And if that's your deal, that's great. You could make that thematic. But if your pining is over with, within 20% of your story, it is not thematic. I'm not big on pining. You you might have noticed. Yeah, what's the point in pining? Let's just let's just get on with the fucking. Let's let's just get it out in the open. And if, and if you know, but even in my real life, when I was single, if I wanted a man, I'd be like, "Look, dude, what's up?" And if he wasn't interested, I moved on. Why waste all that time pining when you could be getting dick somewhere else? Yes, which was my motto for like ten years, <clears throat> ish. So one of the things about <laughs> this particular list, and I did like this list better because these ladies are not judging about 
fan fan fiction, right? Whereas if you look at like the TV tropes list, they have like really terrible stuff like um Don't I read if you it. don't like. Yeah, I suck at summaries as a trope. I suck at summaries is not a trope. That is, and what they're doing is they're mocking fan fiction writers. They're mocking um, common things fan fiction writers say, calling them tropes, and they're not. That's not, there's nothing tropish about saying I suck at summaries. So, um, so one thing I like to do better. Yeah. I like that this, I like that they're pop fandom positive but they did mix themes and tropes and genres all in one big bucket which you know um so that's why it's worth talking about i think what is a what's a, what's a theme versus a minor trope because if it, it a minor trope can carry you for five or ten thousand words it's not going to carry your novel Now, you may not want a, a, a trope to carry your whole novel. You may want to do lots of minor tropes. But um, I was going to see if I could find something else on their trope list. I found it really interesting that one of the themes that people hated the most um, was Mel Preg. Yeah. On the, and on it the was like before murder. And I was like, "Really? Murder was they're almost t they're almost tied, but murder was one up. But it was it was ahead of they, they they disliked it more than slavery, which is like, like whoa, what? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah, the, the most disliked tropes and themes were very underage, um, non-con, incest, eating disorders, major character death, mpreg, slavery, bullying." Self, self, and centaurification, <laughs> and we get to the ten and the number ten, and I'm I'm scratching my head on the number ten in both those lists. Um, there's a so, really there's a there's a segment in practically every fandom that's really into that centaurification. So I understand why it made the list, you know. But I just I mean, of all the things you could hate, I just am like really surprised that that centaurification. Would, would land the list but I'm also was surprised a little bit I mean I have to admit I don't like reading about eating disorders either um I was actually a little bit surprised that people dislike reading about eating disorders more than they dislike reading major character death uh, because major character death I would have thought other than than the pedophile stuff would have been like people's most hated in fandom because people hate it when their characters die but no no eating disorders incest rape and and pedophilia all much more more disliked um than major character death so i, I i'm i'm cool with rape and incest and, and and pedophilia being disliked more than major character death i mean good for you fandom but slavery was further down so hmm i think because they could be conflating um uh like slavery and BDSM. Slavery, BDSM. Yeah. And I think that's why it isn't higher up on the list. Because there wasn't any kind of um, demarcation between actual slavery and sex petting. <laughs> they sh then they should have just put BDSM on the list. You know, I mean, I but okay. So for me, oh, 
Elspeth asked in the chat room, would you say that Iterum has mutual pining, at least in the beginning? Maybe I'm misunderstanding the trope. Um, it's my headcanon that uh, John's in love with Rodney. It's also my headcanon that if Rodney isn't making a move on that, it's because he thinks it's impossible and he moves on because he's not one to pine. Um, I don't think either one of them would like pine for decades for each other without commenting on it or moving on. And for me, that's what mutual pining is. There's this, it's, uh, they both think the other one won't want them, won't ever want them, want them. And they're just kind of stuck in this circle of, of want and assumed rejection. So, I mean, I guess you could say that there was mutual pining, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I dwelled on. Um, I think that, you know, as they worked to come back together, neither one of them dwelled too much on what was going to happen when they finally met up, you know, um, and Rodney even said, you know, Every time I kiss somebody new, I thought of you. But it wasn't like he stopped kissing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but maybe that's part of, like, you know, the, the idea was that um, that he wondered uh, if this is the person that's going to, you know, I'm going to get over John. And, and do I really want to do that? So he's waiting, but not pining. Pining seems unproductive to me. Yeah, I agree. And it it usually also I see, yeah, pining. I I saw a lot of, I see a lot of pining in, in NCIS on Tony's side. Pine, pine, pine. Um, um, I even kind of alluded to it myself. I don't. I try not to write it on on screen because I don't like that kind of circular being obsessed with one person and not getting on with your life for a decade kind of mentality. It's just crazy cakes. I wrote something recently that's not available yet, but it will be as soon as somebody finishes hers. Um, and um, Ian Edgerton and Tony are talking, and Ian said that when he first met Tony. He thought he might get a little bit of him before Gibbs interfered because he thought Gibbs wanted Tony. And Tony says, you know, Gibbs might want me, but he's never going to let himself go there. And I'm, I gave up thinking of that happening a long time ago. Yeah. Somebody asked up above what self 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 is a trope where um, a character gets together with a. Um, a version of, themself, version of themselves, an alternate yeah. version of themselves, either from another dimension, time travel, magical duplication, science experiment, clone of themselves. It'd be like Rod and Rodney getting together. That's self self. I, I, I find, I see it. I see Tony Stark, Tony Stark quite a lot. Um, I, I don't think I've ever run across a, a Denozo Denozo, but it, I'm sure it's there. Uh, and I'm just, I'm 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 happy in my denial, so please don't shake my tree, okay? I don't need it. But yeah, so self self is 
I'd way, honestly, I'd way rather read all the centaurs and all the male preg centaurs before I want to read characters begging themselves. Yes, it, it is sort of like the most bizarre masturbation. And it also is kind of like twincest too, which is gross. It's yeah, pretty it, big it, in the Harry Potter fandom, Harry Potter and a time and a time turner. Lord help us. Yeah, so it's sort of like twincest and masturbation. Somebody decided to make that a trope. I try I try not to be judgy here, folks, but it sometimes it's really um, hard. <laughs> I think there's a difference between mutual pining and getting together. Mutual pining is something that takes place over a extended stretch of time in a story. That's pining. But someone mentioned Touching Secrets where um, John and Rodney get together in that story. I mean, it's a short story. It only takes like 5K. I mean, there has to be like... You can't call mutual attraction and not acting on it pining. Pining is different. Yeah, pining is Pining very- is misery. If if you've ever had a crush on somebody who you just could not let it go, you thought about them all the time, you knew there was no hope for it, but you couldn't let it go, it's that kind of vibe, but for, from both characters. And it usually goes on, and in stories that focus on mutual pining, it usually goes on and on and on. There's misunderstandings, and there's hurt feelings. They don't get on with their lives, and it's like, oh, Jesus. <sighs> I dark. I take offense to that because they didn't both fuck her. <laughs> there was just some oral sex. <laughs> well, at the time, no one was there. There was no penetration in that relationship at the time. So, but yeah. I don't mind two. I don't mind mutual attraction, right? Un, unknown attraction. That's sort of un, that to me. There's a difference between unspoken sexual tension and mutual pining. So don't conflate the two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same as mutual attraction and not acting on it. Sometimes you you find somebody attractive and they find you attractive, and you don't act on it for one reason or another. But that's not pining. Right. So, like in, um, it's sort of like in the Ian Edgerton story that I'm almost finished with. Um, Tony was engaged when he met Ian in that. So they were attracted to each other, but big deal because he was engaged. So he wasn't available. And that was that. So you can be attracted, find somebody attractive, and there can be some sexual tension there, but. There are, sometimes there are reasons why characters don't go there or because it's inappropriate for their careers. It's somebody, somebody else's boss or um, their superior in the military. Just some, you know, attraction happens all the time and you don't go there. So, There's Craig. Remind me that I have two sections to download. <laughs> Let me go ahead and uh-huh. download the first one. But yeah, so there was a mutual pining was a big for a while on the romance market, and sometimes fan fiction holds on to big romance tropes, and sometimes it feeds into big romance tropes. That it goes both directions. So, um, but yeah, it, it's not a it's not, but it definitely could be a thematic trope if if that's your if that's your jam. 
in terms of the, is it a thematic trope or a minor trope? I would say mutual pining, it more often than not is the central focus of a story. And it could definitely be the thematic trope in a story. Um, and when it, when it comes to stuff that you see more often in fan fiction than elsewhere, or even, um, it, there are tropes that are starting to transcend. And we've talked a little bit before about tropes that are starting to transcend into that, into, into genres, but they're kind of still straddling the line, but you, a lot of these, um, AUs, the, I would call those thematic tropes, actually. Uh, coffee shop AUs, um, soulmate AUs, uh, high school, superhero. A superhero in a non-superhero. <laughs> Super, it's not a superhero AU if it's Marvel or DC or whatever. Um, magical AUs that are not... Um, that are not not Harry Potter. Uh, Hogwarts AUs for non-Harry Potter fandoms. So, yeah. So there are those could any of those could be a themat. Those are thematic based. Uh, there was something else. There's uh, some other things I was looking. At. I was looking at another list about what would be um, Rule sixty three. Um, I would say is a thematic AU. Um, what? Rule 63. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like the Rule 63. I didn't used to. I used to find it really offensive, and I still find it offensive when there are... Um, when it's obvious that the author has changed the gender of a character because of homophobia. Um, I will not read Rule 63 from someone who only writes het. I won't. Because no. the only reason they're changing that male character to a female character is so they could write it. And there's no reason. I mean, there's. it's just no. I do not read gender-bending fic from het writers because uh, it's homophobia. And it creeps into the writing and it pisses me off. Also, in Rule 63, if the girl version of the character is like a thousand times better than the boy version. I don't like that either. <laughs> oh. Well, then the, then the then that starts to feel like a Mary Sue. And which if you're going to marry Sue, just marry Sue. Just do it. Just own it. But call it calling it something else is a well. Technically, the Mary Sue is a um, is a fan is a is a fandom construct because canon characters. There is the whole argument that a canon character cannot be. I've seen raging debates over this, but uh, that so there is a trope called the canon Sue, which is the character. Well, I think Sam Carter is most one hundred percent Mary Sue. They they treat her like one, yeah. So um, so there, there. If I've seen these kind of technical arguments break out about whether or not um, a, a, a canon character can be a Mary Sue, to me there are many canon characters that hit that vibe, but because of this whole argument, um, 
somebody created a trope called the Canon Sue, which is a Canon character who is so practically perfect in every way that she solves all the problems just by walking in the room. So if Mary Sue gets your knickers in a knot, call her a Canon Sue and let's just move on. Um, but the worst part, actually one of the worst things I see in fandom is um, a writer taking a character in Canon um, and turning them into a Mary Sue. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. A character. Who I think was- Tony Dinozo gets it more than anybody. Yes. The, the, I, people make Tony flawless sometimes. Like, like he made no mistakes. He doesn't have to own any, has no, doesn't have to take any responsibility for the, for the problems on the team that none of it was his fault and that he's just completely perfect. He's just a, he's just a princess and they're, and they're all just vicious, real, realized mean people to him. <laughs> they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I, I call him my unicorn, right? So, I mean, but I don't think I've ever written Tony without him having to take some responsibility for the situation that he found himself in. And that he wasn't willing to, you know, that he didn't own that he fucked up. Because he did. Even though he's my unicorn, he's still fucked up. He's a human. I have to, this is an aside. Kira got me unicorn. last night. Yes, he's a human unicorn. A uni- unicorn? Humicorn. I don't know. That sounds really awful. Is um, <laughs> so, um, last night, this is just an aside, last night. Kira said, I don't know why this got me, but she actually, I, I kind of just had this weird reaction. Like, I kind of blushed over this. She said, You know, in reading your story again, I'm pretty sure that it's not Styles who's your unicorn. I think it's Noah. <laughs> and I was like, and It was like, it really struck me because I hadn't had any insight into myself on that at all. But she was absolutely <laughs> right. She was absolutely right. I was like, Oh, <laughs> she's right. I have a, I have a, that my, my Teen Wolf Unicorn is not who I thought it was. And sometimes that happens to you is you, you think you know who your focal character is and then you find out you're totally wrong. That happened to Kira. Yeah. I thought it yeah. was Harry, it was Hermione. Yeah, Hermione's my unicorn. I didn't even know it. I was like, well, shit. But I think I grew into that. Yeah, I really didn't realize it was a thing until much later. But yeah, Hermione's my unicorn um, in Harry Potter, and um, John's my unicorn in Stargate. Yes, although I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people think it's Rodney. Um, well, Rodney is my favorite character because John is my unicorn because Rodney is John's favorite. <laughs> Yeah. But no, I well, I haven't written anything that isn't uh I don't think have I written anything that's not more from that doesn't strongly feature Noah? I don't think so, not in Teen Wolf. Well, no, Edie, I didn't actually start with Harry and Draco. Harry on Harry and Draco was the first thing I published as far as Harry Potter is concerned. But I wrote Harry Potter I wrote the majority of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Um roughly a decade before I posted it. 
Yeah, you talked about that in the podcast that you had to basically like rewrite a whole bunch of it because it was your writing style changed so much. Since yeah, you my writing style it. had changed, and also um, I had to incorporate. I felt like I had to incorporate um, some things that I learned from later books that I didn't know about when I wrote that story. Scott is such a dick face in your story. Mine. Yes. Oh, well, and I wanted to punch. I wanted to punch um, Lydia. Well, you know, I had only had any exposure to Teen Wolf canon through um, reading fic for a long time, right? And I always saw Lydia as this ultimate badass in these stories. And then I read, saw about six episodes in order to work on three different pro Teen Wolf projects I had on. And they're all, because, I, because I'm not interested in writing um, post-season two, really trying to do a canon divergence post-season two, no more than the earliest, early season three. So I have no exposure to the actual episodes after the end of season two, but I've seen about six episodes from the first two seasons now. She's awful. She is awful. And I actually asked a couple people, I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, she is touted as being like, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, and Mary Poppins. I don't understand this. She's a, she's a vapid little twit. And um, they, said, they said she really comes into her own in later, later in the series, but that, yeah, she was pretty terrible in the first two seasons. And I was like, well, uh, unfortunately, that's the only canon I've seen. So... I don't have anything else to go. That was like my, my, my head cannon now is, is corrupted about her because she was somewhere between, you know, uh, she was, an also asshole. Kind of a, she, she was an asshole. She was also kind of a bully. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It just, you know, so I mean, I can understand why people who write later in the series, if she really had a, a, a personality makeover, um, later in the series probably because fans liked her so they tried to revamp her a little bit but those first couple seasons she was like yeah um and allison to me i mean allison apparently she, allison was sweet until she lost the plot but you know the minute she hit a little adversity she turned into a spree killer an attempted spree killer anyway yeah, she's um, kind of monstrous and her and Chris also apparently they did a retcon on his character later in the series because he I mean that's not for I mean this doesn't come out in unobstructed views but it did come out I think in another story I wrote um, that he helped torture a high school principal so that his dad could get the job have a job to take ew that was that is so fucking ugly right so. I mean, I think that they did a lot of stuff with the characters in season three and beyond um, because of what fans were responding to. But Chris was pretty atrocious in the first couple seasons. So I have a hard time working with him. I mean, I can read it. My suspension of disbelief is different with him in, in fan fiction as a reader than it is as a writer. I can't. Mm, no. So my interpretation of the characters was based a lot on what I saw in the episodes that I saw. And um, I think I wrote Scott probably a little more delusional than I saw in those episodes. Not by a ton. Not by much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. I agree. Riders can most definitely influence your head cannon. I mean, I think sometimes fanon can be more um, pervasive than cannon. There's a reason. I mean, I think Fanon is like a hundred a hundred percent responsible for the snary fix in Harry Potter. Well, that and Alan Rickman. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and well, people read it and they think, oh, that's good, and they don't really know the canon all that well. Oh, they've only seen the oh, they've only seen the movies because I do think he was worse in the books. Mm-hmm. Um. So. You know, and, and then they think that's a good idea. So you do get influence, and so sometimes then, actually, if you enjoy the fanon, sometimes getting immersed in the canon is a really bad idea. Uh, I and the reason, the only reason why I sat down and watched some episodes of Teen Wolf because I've never had any interest in the show. The only reason I sat down to watch those episodes is because I was writing a fix it that was canon divergent. And I feel like I needed to get a handle around the critical points of canon that I was working with. And the only way I could do that, because I wasn't getting it from reading transcripts, so the only way I could do that was to watch it. So I sat down and did, and then my head canon got screwed up with canon. So, <laughs> so that was that. I love Alan Rickman. I think he was an awesome actor and such a such a loss um, that he's not with us anymore. But Snape's a monster. And you don't need to... I mean, it's, it's really terrible to conflate the two. Yeah. It, it's, it, when you put an actor we really love in, in playing a villain, basically, I mean, I, I know he's a little bit more gray than, than that. He's more gray than what I just said, but he's not a true villain. But it kind of, you know... It, it does affect how people perceive perceive a character based upon who's playing them. Um, the thing is, I don't I don't really read stories without styles in them, um, which is why I thought that he was the character I focused on. But it turns out I won't write anything about Noah in it. So there you go. Go. So and actually, I will say that the the because of that, that gave me some insight into really negative reactions I have when people recommend stories to me where Noah's a shitty father. Because I'm like, why would you recommend that to me? <laughs> well, I mean, they wouldn't know. He is adaptable. You never can tell me otherwise. His wife turned into a tree and he just rolled with it. Okay. So, tropes. Tropes, 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 tropes. Um, tropes and themes. Um, so a lot of times when they look at when you look at um, tropes based upon for fan fiction, um, based upon um, thematic tropes, a lot of times you're looking at um, it. The biggest list that apply thematically are the AU, the AU tropes, like the college, the college AU, the BDSM AU, the cyberpunk AU, high school AU, historical AU, magical AU. Um, those are all thematic, but th- and that's pretty easy to see because it changes the theme of your whole work. So that's really easy to see that that's that's a thematic trope, right? Because your whole story is going to revolve around what you just, what, what that is. But other things are not quite so obvious to me that they're, 
they're thematic. And to some degree, it depends upon how pervasive they are in your work. Um, like case fic, often, if especially if it's case fic, it's usually thematic. Because usually the case isn't just 5% of the story if it's case fic. It's more like a something else and they happen to work a case. Um, Canadian shack, desert island. Those are, they call it the isolated or trapped trope. And the examples are, you know, cave, desert island, Canadian shack. We like Canadian shack the best, but a desert island is good, especially, you know, I wonder if they mean deserted island as opposed to a desert island. I guess it could be a desert island, but I'm pretty sure they mean deserted. Yeah. Um, I would like now. So I'm looking at I'm looking at lists of tropes here. I I tend to think that tentacles is a minor trope, but it could be thematic. It tends to be thematic in DC, but it all depends upon what you're doing with it. Okay, a desert island actually means an uninhabited tropical island. Really. I've always okay, called so that a desert, a desert island. island. Is an island which has never been inhabited, which is and has always been uninhabited. Whereas a deserted island should mean an island which was once inhabited, but but whose inhabitants left for one reason or another. Okay. Well, there now you go. We know. I've always just called both instances a deserted island. But it can't be deserted if it was never occupied to begin with. Do not give me logic. It's just like the wrong day for that. <laughs> I'm not having any of I'm it. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm saying. not having any of it. What if there are? I don't know if there are any desert islands near Hawaii that Steve and Tony can get lost on. I mean, I'm game. <laughs> I'm good with it too. I'm 100% game on this. <laughs> So if anybody has, so we're, are we going to try to kind of do a little bit of. Well, someone mentioned earlier, someone had a question earlier about a definition and I, I lost track of it. Redemption. It was redemption. Redemption is a thematic trope um, that is present both in fandom and in original works. Mm -hmm. You have less setup to do so. in, in fandom, though. Hmm? You have less setup for the. Usually, a redemption arc requires you to set up. In original work, requires you to set up why the person needs redemption. Well, um, and one of the best uh, and one of the best um, examples of that would be Pitch Black. Yeah, you know, I mean, pretty much the moment you set eyes on Riddick, you know he's a bad dude. I mean, he's yeah. in chains. He's um, he's a problem, and. You don't know what problem, what kind of problem he's going to be when they go down. Is 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 he is? You don't even know if he's the threat until he's not the threat, until until he's standing between them and a threat. But he remains a threat. So it's like the, it's like you're dancing with two devils, and you pick the one less likely to kill you. Um, 
Terminator, I don't... Terminator 2? No? I don't even think Terminator 2 is a redemption arc. Because no, because it that, isn't even the same Terminator. No. T3. I stopped watching the Terminator stuff at some point, so... I may, there may be movies out there that I haven't seen, so I can't say for sure. Uh, T3 is the Christian Bale one, right? No, I don't think it qualifies either. Or is that T4? T3 is the one where John is kind of going off the rails and he doesn't have his mom anymore. But by the end of it, he's... That's T2. Where John sends the Schwarzenegger Terminator back to protect himself. But that's not a redemption arc because it isn't the same Terminator. The original Terminator is is killed in the first movie. So the second Terminator that comes back in, in T2, it, it's not a redemption because he's he's a different character. And has he has been a different... And it's been reprogrammed. What? He's been reprogrammed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's been... Yeah, it, it, isn't, it isn't even the same character at all. So you can't redeem... Right. Even his sacrifice. Or him allowing himself to be killed as part of his programming. Because um, ultimately, he sees that he is a threat to John. That his continued existence is a threat. Which is, his programming is, he has to protect John Connor. The only way, at that point, he can protect John Connor is to allow his destruction. Yeah, but I would agree that Redemption Arc is definitely thematic. Um, now, sometimes somebody will give you an example of something and say, but this is not thematic in the whole story. Well, usually when you've got a thematic trope that doesn't carry the whole story, it's because a fan fiction writer didn't end the story. So, like, they went on for 500,000 words instead of stopping after 90. The first well, The arc story. isn't complete. Right. So, the they... Yeah. They fin they finished an arc, but they just didn't put the end on it. Um, and learning how to end, learning how to and where to, if you've got, and that could be an indicator for people who struggle with figuring out where the end of their story is, is if you've identified your thema your thematic elements and you're done with them, maybe your story's over. It doesn't matter if you have more plot or not, because um, plot could be. 10 novels, right? You could have an overarching plot that spans 10 novels. What's a bit ugly? I think she's referring to the Terminator thing. Age is everything, right? Um, if she's 40 and he traveled, time traveled back in time and they hook up, I'm good with it. If she's 16, I'm not. Okay. Uh, If anybody has any questions about tropes and are they thematic or minor tropes, can you pop them in the ask a question for the podcast channel so that we don't um, lose them? Yeah, because I'm 
I feel like I'm missing a brain cell. And I'm pretty sure I only had two to start with. <laughs> it's been one of those days. It has. Uh, but uh, we established earlier in the month that you that you literally cannot write without a trope. Everything we do is a trope. Anybody who tells you they're writing without tropes is full of shit. They just don't know. They think that they're writing without tropes, but they're probably confusing cliches and tropes. And the cliche side of it is when... Um, so when people have approached a trope the same way so many times that it has become expected, like, of course, that's the way you're going to do it. The problem is sometimes the cliched approach is the logical approach. And that's why it becomes a cliche. But the issue is sometimes when you then try to be original <laughs> is that you actually then break logic. It's like, but like, but I didn't want it the cliched way. But yeah, but the cliche made sense. And what you what just you did, did does not. So... <laughs> Um, now, some cliches, you know, there, if there's 60,000 ways to approach something, um, you don't have to do the cliche approach. There, You don't have to take the cliche approach to Harry Potter shopping trip. You could use the trope of Harry Potter shopping trip. And there are tropes that are fandom specific because fandoms develop their own tropes, you know, within a fandom that are, you, but they, that you could still roll them up into apparent trope but we'll call it the harry potter shopping trope because you know people like it but there are ways to approach it that are a little less well worn <laughs> i'm just saying we like the trope we like harry getting shopping the trip um actually kind of kind of wraps up into the independent um trope um that harry gains his independence and he no longer has to worry about uh whether or not he can bring home new clothes because no one's going to care. Um, and he's gotten a bigger full-eyed picture of his finances and he knows that, and also that he kind of knows he kind of deserves these things. And that all falls into the independent um, trope as well. It also, the, the shopping trip is also a little bit emblematic of um Of his uh, his rescue from the Dursleys. So it's sort of like putting a pin in that. So it can kind of feed into a few different things that you might be doing. And how you play up what's going on in that, that scene probably depends upon what your overarching theme is. You know, so like if Harry's focused on safety and... Um, food and survival he might you might want to focus your your shopping trip a little differently than pants but also uh, get pants because because he needs pants he definitely needs it, pants it, it bothers me a lot he could be running around in um in in dudley's underpants yes <laughs> <laughs> and get a belt a, a belt too he, he needs a belt but you don't have to you don't have to give specifics about his pants he just needs them Ellie, um, you had a um, thing about wanting, not wanting to do a shopping trip for Neville, but he needs a new wand. Now I'll ask you, does he really need 
a new wand. It, I do it too. I always get Neville a new wand. But during my last turnaround with that, I thought to myself, does he need a new wand or just a different wand? And then I thought it would be really interesting to explore um, maybe the long bottom vault. And he gets a wand. He picks up a wand that serves him better. You know, um, he could go, or maybe even he goes into the to the office at the Longbottom Manor, his grandfather's office. It's going to become his office when he takes over the house. Um, and he's sitting there at the desk. Maybe he's thinking about doing his homework, and he opens up a drawer, and there's a wand. Maybe it's his grandpa's wand. Maybe it's his great-grandfather's wand. Maybe the wand's been in his family for generations, and no one's been able to carry it, and his grandmother didn't offer it to him because nobody else has been able to carry it. And Neville picks it up and it likes him. I like that. But see, that's the thing. If him, him picking up a wand in the house that no one else has been able to use, but he can, would kickstart his grandmother's thinking. So it doesn't have to be a new wand if you don't want to do the shopping trip. You can you can you can play with that wheel. You don't have to actually full out reinvent it, right? But you can play with it. Well, his uncle outright tried to kill him. Yeah, I'm writing um in uh, Child of Magic, Neville is part of um, Harry's conclave. And Harry's furious to find out how Neville's being been treated by his uncle. And it comes out that that Algernon is actually the, um, the head of the house of Longbottom because of the damn patriarchy. And um, Augusta can't do a damn thing about it. She's barely surviving on the money he allows her to have. And the reason that Neville was carrying his father's wand is because Algernon wouldn't give her money to buy him a new one. Because he's um, a dick. He's a dick. And also, if Neville doesn't survive to claim the ring, then Algernon becomes the um, the Earl of Greenwood, which is the, the earldom that I gave the, the, the Longbottom family. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, exploring Neville's wand situation, you could, you could take it in a really new and interesting different direction if you wanted to. Um, whether it is a shopping trip that you don't want to do or him finding a wand or whatever, you know. So the, the, these, these small moments in your fic when you can think outside the box a little bit without actually destroying the box, um, can set your story apart. You went too far, Dark. Go, go stand in the corner. And actually, that's that. Even though it's said that way, it's still spelled P-U-S-S. -S. I know it's terrible. Puss and pus are, are spelled the same way, but they are.
in the corner. I don't think so. You've confused me. I don't... Pus is a whitish-yellow PUS with a whitish-yellow or oh, brown-yellow protein-rich fluid called liquor pearls that accumulates at the site of an infection. P. See, I've always thought it was spelled the same way. Nope. Ugh. I never, ever wanted to look up the definition of pus, and I'm... Ugh. I really did think it was spelled the same way. I've always spelt it the same way. Is this like ordinance and ordinance all over again? It is. It is. You've got an extra letter. It is. Ordinance. Ordinance and pus. That's really gross, Dark. Really gross. You were wrong. I mean, I was wrong and you were right. See, that that's how difficult it is for me to say that I was wrong. But she's um, still in the corner because of what she said, which we're not going to get in the corner. Yeah. She even has. But I really did think it was spelled the same way. I have for years. What was the word that you did that you, that you were mistaken on? Poor and poor. Poor. <laughs> I don't blame you. I always thought the same thing. Poor and poor. Yeah, like I'm I'm pouring over these documents for the next two hours. I would, I would have certainly put P-O-U-R. Yeah, that's what I put for years. It's P-O-R-E. And I was like, I was so traumatized. I was like, what? <sighs> I've never confused P-O-O-R with the other two. No. No. That, that's sort of like saying that, you know. But I have confused corporal and corporeal. Corporeal? Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, like, I, I, people get, I've never, I don't get them mixed up unless it's a typo, but people get rain and rain, R-E-I-N, R-E-I-G-N mixed up. I've never mixed in R-A-I-N. I, <laughs> I, um, sometimes with a typo, I will do that rain and rain, like the first one, like the horse and the royalty. But, um, I do know the difference. It's just sometimes I don't always type the difference. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes my fingers type it, type R-E-I-G-N, even though I know it's ra when you're reining somebody in, it's R-E-I-N. But I just have never had that. Um, also, about three years ago, I figured out that you T-O-E the line. Uh, what else would you do with it? I, I T-O-W'd the line for years. Where, <laughs> where were you taking it? <laughs> where were you taking that I, line? I, <laughs> <laughs> that's how you remember it folks is you put your toe right on that line and you do you do Not get it right there but yeah i but i tow that line for a long time uh she but, took it uh, all over <laughs> i didn't know there were two navels for a long time i had no idea i i use n-a-v-a-l for both but apparently oh. n-a-v-e-l <laughs> it's your belly button you just hurt me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Julie had to um had to school me on that ordinance thing because I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my first I it was all the same. That was one of my first word doubles on the daily something, which I'm gonna move over to Discord, but yeah, that was one of my first word doubles was ordinance and ordinance. Because mm -hmm. I see it wrong in fanfic all the time because there's a lot of stuff I read that's military, has military stuff, and they talk about ordinance and it's got that extra eye and there I go, oh, all those regulations people are putting into their guns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. But there you go. 
Um, so people, I'm going to write this PUS down because I have been doing that for decades. And no one's ever called me on it. That's even worse. What the hell did they think I was writing? Well, <laughs> apparently you don't use the word pus, meaning the gross thing, very often. I do not, no. So it's not a word you want to use. Apparently, like just like I don't like I don't like I don't like to use the word. I think it's gross. It evokes something nasty. So it does. I often, but I have used the word, pee, you know, puss, you know. But yeah. um, I honestly probably couldn't tell you the last time I used the word puss. It's gross, right? It's just, yeah, it's disgusting. It, it sometimes you have to deal with puss in life, but you don't want to talk about it any more than absolutely necessary. I mean, it's just like the word turgid. I don't. <laughs> it really isn't like the word turgid, but we don't I, like. No, the word turgid is gross to me. That's what I'm talking about. That it's gross. I hate the word turgid. It it makes me think of swollen, rotten things. And so, whenever somebody <laughs> uses the word turgid to describe an erection, I'm immediately grossed out, and I am T O Wing my line right out. <laughs> you just tow that line away. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. You mean that's not how you spell flotation? <laughs> really? As I have said before, and I will say again, the only thing between me and world domination is spelling. I can't spell. I don't. Maybe some math. <laughs> Maybe some math. Is that what you said? Yeah, you know, well, you said the only thing between you and world domination is your ability to spell. I'm like, maybe some math. I I mean that's that's what's in my way. <laughs> Some math. Well, that and procrastination. Well, which procrastination. is like my second biggest hobby. Yeah. Yeah, procrastination. True. Wait, is that really not how you spell flotation? I am. It's spelled F L O F L O T A T I O N. Flotation. I agree with you. I would stick the A in every time as well. I would. I totally would. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we have spell check, bitches. We don't have to, like, sit there double-checking our work for 50 hours with a with a, with a a dictionary, little pocket dictionary, going, am I spelling this right? And, and you know what? Because we have spell check, it, it's astonishing to me when I read anything that somebody's put up as a finished work that has got spelling errors in it. And, you know, sometimes spell check won't pick up a word that's, like if you use the wrong word, like corporal or how do you say that one? Corporeal? Corp corporeal. That's that's not how I say it. Okay. Um because it's spelled right, but an outright word that does not actually exist in the dictionary. It will catch that. That's what it's for. Let's tell me once they had a really bizarre word, right? Um that uh and I, I, I said, well, you didn't, you know, I could help that you didn't run spell check. And they said, no, I did. I'm like, you know, you didn't. And I used this one word, you know, there were several instances, but I used this one word in an example. And they said, oh, well, that's in my custom dictionary. Uh, so I Googled the word. I got no hits. I'm like, why would something that there's not any internet reference for be in your custom dictionary? You dodo. I don't. Stop lying to me. 
my custom dictionary is usually just full of fandom words. Right, exactly. For for a while there, it was mostly just full of dwarf names. <laughs> but if it's <laughs> if it was a fandom word, I would have gotten a hit on it on Google. Right. And I, if it was even a foreign language word, I'd have gotten a hit on Google. It was none of that. Yeah, when Google laughs at you, you know you've totally misspelled a word. Google has no idea what to do with you. Did you mean inconvenience? Yes, I did, Google. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Google. So, so we did get a couple questions in the Ask a Question for the podcast. Uh, the first is KidFic. Um, I guess... Is it, I'm guessing that's like, is it a, a thematic trope? Generally, yes. Um, although, maybe it's no. bordering on a genre, actually. Yeah, I mean. Because if, there's like a whole subcategory of romance dedicated to single parents. Finding love. Yes. So kidfic is definitely a thematic trope. Um, I think if it's not thematic, it probably isn't kidfic. It was like there was a, ki be a kid being in a story is not the same thing as it being kidfic. I would definitely say Finding Atlantis is a kidfic. Agreed. It's, even, it's also a penguin fic. Yes, it is. It's so an emotional support penguin fix. It's an animal fic, I guess you could say, in its way. Just like um, Wraith Killers. If, if there's such a thing as animal fic or tiger fic, that's it. Um, the cutest thing I've seen recently is someone used a penguin on MeWe to offer somebody support. I saw that. <laughs> I, 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 didn't even, I didn't even read the poem. I didn't even, actually, I, I clicked the penguin to, to double down on that penguin before I ever read the post. I was like... Whoever needed that penguin, that you've got the penguin emoji, I'm I'm just gonna just gonna chime in and agree. <laughs> you needed the penguin. Yes, there is also kid fic where the character is, but usually that's called de aging. Not um, typically, it would not typically kid fic is where there's kids in the fic. Uh, typically, typically in terms of tropes, if the character, an adult character, is de aged, it would be a de aging trope. Yeah, typically. Can I um, say that those kind of freak me out? I don't really, I don't dig on it. It depends upon what people do with it. Um, I remember an X-Files story where it, it on the surface it looked like a de-aging fic, but it wasn't. Um, they, they kept their adult minds. Um, which actually made it, as I recall, it was very funny. Because one of them was a toddler. And was having none of that. Uh, but like I said, it was it was only on the surface was it a de-aging fic because in reality they were clones. Um, oh, because and cloning cl cloning was canon in, in the X Files, so um, clones were were a canon element in X Files. So so yeah, so they thought they were the real deal. So when they ran across their adult selves, they realized what they were. They were clones. But it's it's sometimes the ones um, I get a little uncomfortable with the ones uh, I've read a few. Some sometimes they're good, but I can get uncomfortable where they've got they lose their their adult memories. And sometimes I I'm actually like head tilting over the science of it. It's like you know they get de they get de-aged um, to be to, to have a younger you know they have they're like a younger version of themselves, literally like it, but 
like time is rolled off of them. It's like Tony Stark gets de-aged, but he has no arc reactor. Because it seems like to me, like if somebody's going to get de-aged, they would be, de- they just, they'd have, I don't know why he would lose the arc reactor. Not that I would think he would want to do that to a kid. But magic would be the only thing I'd accept on that. Um, so, um, so kid, kid fic is, um, Someone actually messaged. Uh, someone had didn't. Someone who does not read, who does not comment online, sent me an email about finding Atlantis because I wanted to read it again because it was um, um, it's gone from RT, but it's currently being baited, and when it's finished baited, it will go up on my site. No worries. I finished my second draft, and um, Lady Holder has it. Um, but uh, she said she wanted to read it despite my crazy choice of pets for the kid and i'm like you kiss avery's butt (laughs) i was offended on his behalf how does she know it's a crazy choice if she hasn't read the story she wanted to read again wow that but apparently she thought my choice of um emotional support animals was cracky oh fuck her (laughs) And I was like, well, what else other animal could I possibly have stuck in it? Because I did think about it. I mean, yeah, I could have hand-waved the whole not having animals from Earth in Pegasus thing. Where's, but where's, but where's, what do they consider an appropriate animal? A cat? Where are they going to get a cat? Right. From the mainland? Besides, I mean, come on. he wanted a penguin. <laughs> Besides, the kittens from the dinosaur planet has already been done. Let's not be derivative. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm just kidding. There's, there's nothing wrong with being derivative. Just go right on ahead. Um, okay, so there's another question. And the question is, how many tropes can you mix in the story before you create a mess? Um, as Well, the thing is, I think if you looked at a, a comprehensive list of especially tropes that are prevalent in fan fiction, um, you'd find that many stories have... A bazillion tropes. Like, well, let's just take one apart. A hot mess. Let's of our own apart. Okay. Since you offered it up on the are altar, let's do Finding Atlantis. <laughs> Fine. Okay, so Finding Atlantis is... Um, kid fic. Kid fic. Hurt Comfort. It's Secret Baby, yeah. It is Secret... Oh, it's Secret Baby. Yeah. Yep. But that really is just because when I introduced Sebastian in what might have been, I could think of no other way to give John a son that did not make him look like a vicious, terrible son of a bitch. Because how could he possibly have gone to Pegasus? With a kid that young. On a one-way mission. Yeah, friends to lovers. So my only choice was Secret Baby. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely was Secret Baby, yeah. Alternate it's Universe. First time. So, 
So we got Kid Fick, Hurt Comfort, Secret Baby, Friends to Lovers, Alternate Universe. First time. First time, yeah. Family, I think, is a little bit more of a genre, but we'll just throw family in there. It's very family-oriented. And romance, that's the genre. Um... Except, yes, except she didn't have a new husband. And, you know, it, yeah, I would have had, I mean, and I still don't think it would have been justified. Uh, I couldn't have any respect for John if, if he left the planet on a one-way mission with a kid. It, it would have destroyed the character for me. There is no cat in Finding Atlantis. <laughs> it may very well become one, which would be, you know, not a bad uh, legacy to give fandom. <laughs> so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tropes. Jilly? Yeah, and we. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to decide if there's not really a lot of the domesticity. Oh yeah, uh, sentient, sentient Atlantis. That's a that yeah. You had sentient Atlantis. You had living city too. So AI, and then yeah, living city is actually a a pretty big trope in Atlantis. Depending, yeah. Did you have any huddling for warmth? I don't think you did. I did not. Um, well, he was a DILF. I mean, you know, it, having a kid did increase his hot factor, apparently. Mm -hmm. But, you know, honestly, um, one of the most attractive things um, for me um, is, is seeing a man who's just really good with his kids. That's hot. Mm -hmm. It's right up there with the competence. I, I really, really, really enjoy a competent man. Somebody doing, a man doing something the way he's supposed to be doing it and doing it right. Yeah, that's a button. I have a huge competency kink. I really enjoy watching my husband mow the lawn. <laughs> Just stuff like that. <laughs> Just, you know, man doing his thing. <laughs> it makes my day. <laughs> Working with tools, changing a tire. <laughs> I'm just some some of the some of the stuff on this list. I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I'm going, yeah, that fits, but I don't consider that a trope, so I'm like double birding it. Like, um, better than canon. That is not a trope. That's a that's a that's a judgment. It's not an episode tag. There, it's not a specific episode. It's tagged. No. No, I didn't think well, so. No, I mean, it, it does dig into the Michael situation, but I wouldn't consider it an episode tag, no. No, so I think we got, what do we got, 10? Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Fly holster should definitely be a trope. It's not, but it should be. <laughs> we're we're going to call it a trope. <laughs> because. 
What source am I using for this? Um, I will give you the list from Fanlore. Um, this is the not annoying list, okay? I'll give you guys this list. This is the not annoying list. And then I will give you the annoying list. So the not annoying list is the one from um, Fanlore. If you go to list of tropes and fan works on Fanlore, that is an annoying list. Um, and then here is the annoying list. I'm not going to tell you where to go. Actually, all you have to do if you look at fan fiction, this is very similar to what's on TV tropes. Um, <laughs> so there's two. If you go to if you go to the um, TV tropes and you go fanfic tropes, that's the really annoying list. So I would not. I mean, there's just whole whole swaths of stuff um, that could in no way be called a trope, like. Um, I do not own, I suck at summaries, Ikea erotica, meaning sex scenes written as insert tab A into slot B. Um, hypothetical casting. How the fuck is that a trope? So I got 10 in Finding Atlantis. But I think the point is, is that when you're layering tropes into your story, when you're like trying to figure out... E you have to make really you don't want to shoehorn in a trope like no there was no bed sharing because that would have been weird right if like if, if, if I had just stuck bed sharing in the middle of that like suddenly Rodney couldn't go back to his own quarters and he had to sleep in John's bed well the bed <laughs> bed sharing you I, I would also call sharing a sleeping bag on a mission bed sharing I don't think that was in your story, but that no. But I, there's a really good one um, where John and Rodney are sharing a tent off-world, and John thinks Rodney's gay, and he makes a pass, and Rodney accepts, and but Rodney's not gay. And then by the time Rodney gets off, gay has gay has become his thing, and he's developed an entire headcanon about his tragic gay childhood. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really good. Okay, is the Fic Ninja on? I don't see her. Um, that was called Clouds in My Coffee, I believe. Oh, she is on. I'll I'll put myself on mute and type it out. I'll I'll go look for it. You don't type that loud. Okay. Uh so um somebody asked if well, I'll wait to that question. So so the answer to, to wrap up the question about can you have too many tropes? I think the only time it can feel like there's too many is if it doesn't make sense. It's when people start noticing that you're using just a bunch of tropes as opposed to writing a logically consistent story. If, if people are noticing your tropes and not your plot, you've got something wrong. You're using too many or you're not, you're not following through or there's, there's something wrong in the craft and it's not the fault of the number of tropes. Um, but like Kira was saying, shoehorn, especially a thematic trope, um, if you've got a thematic trope or a thematic, you know, a, a thematic premise, you don't want to shoehorn in minor tropes that conflict with your thematic premise. Um, so if your thematic premise is, um, you know, like, Apocalyptic, which would be apocalyptic fic or a dystopian future, that kind of thing. Um, trying to shoehorn in a bunch of fluff as a minor trope, 
might seem a little incongruous. I mean, you probably are ways to have lighthearted moments that are not full on fluff in that kind of story. So you don't want to like change your tone so much that you wind up coming off like crack. Um, we've all anything can work, but it's like the issue is when you go too sharply in in tone change, it will ring more like crack. And crack is is possible crack if that's what you're doing go for it but i read something a while ago there's actually an author that recommended to me a lot that i will not read because they took a very serious story that they just started doing wackadoodle crap with about ninety thousand words in and it was just crack but I agree, crack can be fun, but it shouldn't be a bait and switch kind of situation. If you are reading a dystopian future and it turns to crack, um, that's a bait and switch on your reader. And that is, to me, a failure of craft. Or or just author assholery, whichever, whichever you want to go down. Um, and I, I hold a grudge about that kind of shit. If I'm reading something that's dramatic and angsty and I get 50 or 60,000 words in or 80 or 90,000 words and it suddenly turns cracked because the author couldn't figure out to do with their fic, I will never read another work of theirs, ever. I have, do not forgive that kind of crap. Because I, I just find that kind of change in, in tone to be that kind of thematic tone change. No, mm-mm. I'm not going to go from a an, an apocalypse or a dystopian type thing to, you know, just weird nonsensical stuff like Harry Potter said, having a colony on the moon. It's just crazy cakes, man. It's just nuts. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I set out I set out to read crack. I pick up a story that it, sometimes I I write crack, um, and I often will read crack taken seriously, which is like cracky premise but written without like any kind of crack tropes in it so yeah but tree claudia sounds um cracky so i would call that crack taken seriously now although adaptable was definitely crack that was there's no doubt about that um but but meet that trope that we've we're calling a trope tree claudia um was um was from a very serious story. So yes, and definitely Deadpool sending Tony fingers is all crack. And if if anybody didn't notice that that was crack, I don't know what to say. It was all over my author notes. <laughs> I think John and Rodney as Girl Scout cookies is probably the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. I don't even know what to do with that. John is a... Um, a thin mint and Rodney is a Samoa. <laughs> okay. And John finds a marshmallow. <laughs> but the the point in there is that that is that uh, that is crack on the on on the on the face of it, right? Nobody's taking that as serious story. But if you give somebody 90,000 words of angst and then you abruptly turn to crack, your reader's not going to trust you. So, um, so the thing is, it's just when it comes to the tropes, is if if people are seeing that you're just shoehorning a lot of tropes in, it's, it could be because you've got more more tropes than your story could carry. Uh, it could be that you're not developing what you do have 
completely enough. But for some reason, the tropes are sticking out and not your fic. Then people get sometimes get very excited to see a trope that they really love, like friends to lovers or um, whatever it is that shakes their tree, kid fic, mpreg, whatever it is they really like, they get really excited to see it. So they'll really notice that. But the rest of your tropes probably should be fading into the background. As just they're just they're just devices that your story you're using to move your story along. So when it's jumping out, you're using a bunch of tropes. You may have too many, I don't know. But clearly you can have quite a lot in a novel if you can work with 10. Tens a lot. Tens a lot. Let's um let's look at another one. But you know, none of these are none of these stand out as being opposite of one another. I agree. These tropes. Yeah. Um of course she found the The epic tale of John, the epic tale of Rodney and John, two Girl Scout cookies in love. Oh. Okay. I mean, there's there, there's porn. They found the marshmallow. I'm going to go put that in the podcast link library. I don't know what to do about it, but it's there, folks. If you're looking for it, <laughs> we put it over there. Um, yeah, don't get too invested in the marshmallow. It, it gets mushed. Okay, so... Uh, well, in terms of doing an, uh, the next one, there was another question that will lead to doing another story, because we can do one of mine. Um, is adults taking responsibility and or adulting thematic or a minor trope? Uh, I would say, well, the way I work with it, it's a, it's thematic. Because usually they have their actions have long reaching consequences throughout your plot, right? And that's when you know that you that that you've hit upon a a, a theme. Um, So, oh, is um, Dark not read Unobstructed Views yet? Does she want no spoilers on? Oh, that's what I'm asking. Oh, oh the, the marshmallow. marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, Okay, so let's do unobstructed. We can go through the tropes and on a adulting, unobstructed views. Definitely adulting. Fix it. Um, family, family, uh, family definitely is thematic. Um, family of choice. Yeah, family of choice is 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 thematic uh in that story uh yeah i would call i would call pack bonding hurt comfort hurt comfort yep so you could probably um conflate 
uh, pack bonding and team bonding. So it yeah, a team pick. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Canon divergence. No one, Noah's unimpressed face. Yeah. I don't know that I'd call that a trope, but it's definitely it's definitely there quite a lot. Um. So adulting, fix it, family of choice, heart comfort, canon divergence. I would call all the therapy a trope. <laughs> but um, I don't know that you'd find that on any list. I think mentoring, though, because, well, in, in Harry Potter, they call it what? Um, when Snape mentors Harry, they call it something. I can't think of what it's called. But so, probably mentor mentoring, fic. probably. Mentorfic is. Um... Okay, I, I have no idea what that A plus parenting not is, but. Well, A plus parenting usually means that the parent's an asshole. So I guess it's sarcastic. The a parent, yeah, not is not being um, means that they are in fact an A plus parent. <laughs> um, yes, that's it, Sin. I avoid it like the plague too, so that's why I couldn't think of the title. What they what they call that? Um, Severus is when Severus is Harry's father. I thought it was when he mentored Harry. I never actually watched it. I mean, read it. So, oh, apparently it's both. Well, okay. Fan lore says Sever the Severitus trope is a type of Harry Potter fan fiction in which Severus Snape is Harry Potter's father. Sometimes the story is AU from the beginning. Sometimes it starts out later. Da 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 da. Originally, Severitus meant only fix that followed the guidelines set out in the Severitus challenge, but through Fanish Drift, it has come to mean any story where Snape is a father or father figure to Harry. Mm. Um, I would not say that... Um, Severitus is when Harry, when he is not Harry's biological father, which is where it was... Okay. okay. Um, she's saying bad Laura. I don't think that's necessarily a trope. Um, and based on what I know of the show, Julie's portrayal of Laura was actually just accurate. I interpreted her acts through the lens of a, through the lens of another werewolf, but I didn't, um, make her do anything that she didn't do in canon. She did walk. Well, actually, that's not true. I had her. I had I had her leave other pack members behind, but I, that was more extrapolating based on what she did to Peter. Um, so there is a mild character redemption here. Yeah, there is the it, the character redemption is, and it's kind of a little bit of theme for quite a few characters in in a minor way. No, a live hell family doesn't really apply because that usually implies that the family oh, survived the fire. A live hail, yeah, a live hail family means not not the people who survived in canon. It's well, it's those who died. Laura did not so much leave Cora behind as Cora ran, and Laura thought she was dead. But if she was truly the alpha in that moment, how come she didn't feel her sister's bond? 
Yeah. I mean, isn't it, is, is that fanon or canon that they have bonds? I think the, it, I think there's some, some foundation for it in canon, but I don't think it's, it, from what I can tell, it is not spelled out that way. They certainly, Derek has, at least Derek has some sense of them. Um, Cause didn't he know that, uh, um, he knew that Erica and Boyd weren't dead. Yeah. Okay, so Styles Styles actually isn't a spark, but yes, the magical Styles thing. But Styles being, you know, magical is at least rooted in canon, even if they didn't ever really explore it. It was like it's like they threw that out there and went nowhere with it. So, you know, I just double bird canon for me picking that up. Gerard being creepy. That's just canon. I don't know. I don't yeah, call that's that a trope. Just, I wouldn't call it a trope either. Uh, I, would I honestly say, wouldn't call magic styles a trope personally because it is mentioned in canon. So um, they just don't go anywhere with it. Right. Uh, Deaton tells him he has a magical spark and then it's just like they just bleh, they do nothing with it. Um, creepy Deaton. Okay. I'll go. I'll go with you on that. That I kind of jumped on the creepy Deaton. Um, but on the other hand, he was very manipulative in canon. Now I made him maybe a little bit worse, but he he did flat out tell Derek when Derek was um, had almost been sacrificed. He did flat out tell him that you're a terrible alpha. So he was kind of a dick. Maybe maybe the maybe the trope is Deaton is a dick. I, I don't know. Um, I will say I went on the Scott is deluded trope. I will. I did get on that bandwagon because it was easy. It's easier for me to make style Scott a borderline unstable as a reason for his actions than to just make him a complete asshole. He's still an asshole, but um, jumping on the Scott is pushing being an Omega trope is is a little bit easier for me to deal with. Well, we th this is pre True Alpha, so we haven't hit that plot point yet. Let's say I don't. I don't think Bamp Styles is a trope. That to me, Styles was a badass in canon. And isn't Noah in canon an ex Army Ranger? Yes. Okay, so there, there's no trope to be had there either. He came into this situation a badass because you don't become an Army Ranger if you're not a badass. That's 10 for you too. So apparently we like we like 10 in works of that length. He's at least an army veteran. He may not have been a ranger. I'm not 100% certain about that part. I had to double check that. And I don't Well, there's nothing that says he's not. He's former army though. Oh yes, I thought I do. I agree with Dark Dark Seraphina. We do get one more. As Sheriff finds out about werewolves, that is a big trope in Teen Wolf. Um, magical Claudia, yeah, it, it's it's kind of there. It is explored more in the sequel. Also, Styles is not the pack mom. No. I hate that pack mom thing. It's um, 
it's feminization. Um, and it's it's it borders on it, it borders on homophobic because it's feminizing styles for for Derek's use. So it's less gay. It's I think people jump on the name Pack Mom is like Styles taking care of the pack. Um, I prefer to just call it Styles is taking care of the pack, but that still isn't even um, emissary Styles. I will I'll agree with you. It, he is he's he he jumped I jumped right in with that trope. He's not. No, mm -mm. I don't I don't agree that he's all that nurturing. He's he's. I mean, at this point, he's just kind of being bossy. Yeah, he's not. Dad lets him. He's not any. <laughs> yeah, he's not any more nurturing. I don't think than any other character. Yeah, he is. But he is. Yeah, he's actually can be a complete asshole to people. What is the age difference in in uh, that story? It's uh, four years. In canon, I think it's. So canon, he's about to turn eighteen, and Derek's about to turn. Derek is twenty-one, and Styles. Yeah. Derek. Derek will turn. Derek will turn 22 right after Styles turns 18. No, in the series, I think it's six or seven years. Depending on which season you're in and how old they've made Derek at the time. Right. I think in one season, it was implied it was more like five years or something like that. And then later they changed his age. And yeah, they, they changed all the characters' ages. It's, it's terrible. Um, because uh, the dude apparently didn't like being told by fandom that he'd actually made Derek a rape victim. Due to his Kate relationship, his Kate thing was um, in, the, in the hellfire, that he'd actually made um, Derek a rape victim, and he didn't like that. So he changed Derek's age so that Derek was of age. When the fire happened. Actually having a hard time finding an image. I'm getting think about when you Google when you Google Teen Wolf images, you mostly get GIFs. It's just really like, I don't want a GIF version. Okay, there we go. So, copy image. So, in the first season, um, if so, this is just a comparison about what Derek looked like in the first season versus the sixth season. And I think that he looked about 21 in the first season. And season one and season two take place in the same six month period. But the beard ages him. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the pictures you see of 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 Tyler Hecklin and fan art are of him with the scruff and stuff. But in the first few season, first episodes, he looked baby faced. I mean, he looked like a 21 year old. Um, so I think we did get a couple more for me tacked on, so maybe like 12. Um, but it's just because there are so many Teen Wolf specific tropes. Uh, right. I do think a few of them get invalidated because I actually think that they're canon. Um, also, I think like Hurt Styles is a, while that's a fandom specific trope, it's covered by Hurt Comfort. Um, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So in the sequel to to, to uh, Unobstructed Views, 
Derek and Styles will get together, but not until not until they're not they won't be like there won't be any sex until Styles is eighteen because that's just how I roll. And Derek will be. Um, it's not slow burn, no, because no, I, I wouldn't call it slow burn. Slow burn implies that there was a to me that there was an attraction that was discussed and understood through the entire story uh, that was not acted upon. And I don't think there are even any real allusions to attraction between them until the last quarter of the story. And it was just something Noah noticed, a vague reference in Styles' um, thought. I think that you could probably say that Styles is attracted to Derek, but Derek is so fucked up. Yeah. That being attracted to somebody is really like the last thing on his list. Especially at that point in time. And he also, because he's kind of latched on to Noah, I think that at that point in his in, in his emotional development, that having wood for his, you know, Noah's underage son would be like the last thing that he would think about. Yeah. Well, one of the things in the last scene with Derek and Styles is that um, Styles is trying to get information out of Derek, and Derek says, please don't ask me to um, go against your father because it makes him that uncomfortable. And so he's not going to be banging Styles. It's just not where his head is at. Uh, it actually comes, it does come up in the sequel. Um, it's sort of, he kind of gets startled by finding out about something. He's sort of surprised by his own attraction in the sequel because it's it's there, but he's like doesn't allow himself to think about it. But the thing is, if you look at the hierarchy of needs, the the human hierarchy, um, when it's not so much oblivious, Derek, as it is barely functional, Derek. When you meet Derek in um, Objective Views, I mean, he is really neck deep in survival. He's you know. I mean, he's on he he's on his high level needs: food, shelter, safety. Yeah. That's where he is. Food, shelter, and safety. That's where he is, and so he has to get those needs needs met and really understood before he can even approach his higher needs, like the going back to school. Um, figuring out what he wants for his future. So Derek is just no matter where Styles' head is, and you, I mean, honestly, if Styles is gay and Derek and that dude is in the house, there's some looking because he's yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> but Styles and has Derek is you know he's he's still in survival mode. He doesn't have room for that kind of thing. We don't, as humans, when when we're that far down, we don't have room for that, right? And Styles in that story is he, up until the point where he decides to like deal with Derek. They have been annoyed with each other. So even if he thought Derek was hot, which I'm pretty sure in canon he says Derek is hot, um, noticing he's hot is not the same thing as wanting to jump him. Because there are a lot of people that I can objectively say are hot that I do not want to jump. Right. I mean, there are plenty of people that I think are very attractive that I would not have sex with. So acknowledging his attractiveness, especially since since Styles talks to his dad about being gay and that he knows he's gay and he's been gay. He's known for a while that he's gay. He um, he's, of course, going to notice that Derek is attractive, but 
he I think he also styles is I think pretty when he wants to be, he can be very clued into what's going on with people. And he knows Derek's not in a good place. And I'm not going to make, I, w- I wouldn't write Styles as that kind of asshole who'd be putting the moves on Derek. Um, but he does have a moment of feeling like there is one moment where he kind of feels the intimacy between them has increased. But it is later in the story when things, when, when, the, er, when the danger's passed and they're settled down a little bit. But it's on Styles' side more than on Derek, definitely more than on Derek's. And Noah sees like the potential for the two of them, but he he's not, it's, he, if it was anything that was manifesting as anything real, he would be making sure to to deal with it head on. So I think Noah's probably more um, clued in to what's going on with the two of them than than they are. To be honest, but he's just kind of you know um, rolling with it because he <sighs> did we lose you? No, she was just pausing to think. Oh yeah. Um Noah's just kind of um I think Noah sees Derek better than any, almost anybody else does in that situation. He see he I think he sees and understands Derek better than Derek does and better than Styles does. And that's partially because of just years of experience. So he's not worried about Yes, that's true. He he does know that Derek's a victim of sexual abuse and rape. So he he's not worried about um, Derek's intentions towards Styles, even though he sees some chemistry between the two of them. One of the reasons why I don't like to see Derek with a very young Styles is because that was done to Derek, and I think he would be very sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And he would not want to give any hint of the same experience he had to Styles. Yeah. And really, you know, in my and this is my headcanon because I've never watched the show because I think the show sucks. And I barely got through 30 minutes of the first episode before I before I wanted to kill Scott, so I had to let go. But in my in my head, Kenan, you know, of, of all the characters on Teen Wolf, Derek has the most honor. Derek's very honorable. And I think that when writers put him in a situation where he's not honorable, it makes me really deeply uncomfortable. It seems like a violation of his characterization. Yeah. I mean, he could be a raging asshole, but he still always showed up. Um, right, but the same could be said about Styles, right? As Styles was, I mean, he even called himself horrible. Styles made some really questionable decisions, including setting Peter on fire, apparently. Um, but I appreciated that line there where you said that he said, "Well, I'll, you know, I'll kill you if you get if you get out of line, but next time I won't use fire." I'm my bad, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake. I went too far. <laughs> We crossed the line, you know, (laughs) but I figured that mistake they made, this was teenagers who were desperate doing right, being not thinking ahead. And we got to be real here, right? Like the brains of 16 to 22 to 23 year old, you know, boys are not fully developed. And the part of the brain that develops last is the parts that's responsible for good judgment. So, um, it was a personal growth moment for Styles to recognize that 
they had been unnecessarily cruel with the way they had um, executed Peter. Well, actually, Derek executed him. Um, but the the fire was to me to me when I when I read about that when I read that that's the way they they went after Peter was to set him on fire. I was like, wow, how cruel can you be as to set Terrific. on a fire a Terrific. man who nearly burned to death? Wow. Yeah, I think I believe that the the primary um, factors behind the fire thing was, well, Lydia came up with a Molotov cocktail, I think, um, and then Allison was the one who actually ignited it, basically, because Styles threw it, but Derek, but Peter caught it and it didn't blow up, and then Allison caused it to to catch when she shot the Molotov cocktail with an arrow. So, I mean, that's just, and so I wanted to, I just, I need to, I felt like I needed to address that, that Styles would have a kind of a growth moment. I mean, and part of it wasn't just about him regretting something he had done, because I do think Styles is the kind of asshole who could, if it didn't get personal, he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't have anything to say about to Peter. But the moment he decided to accept being part of Derek's pack and that he was going to make that decision that he was going to prioritize Derek's pack over Scott, he accepted Peter as pack too. And so that, right. that created a, 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 a wrong done between him and a pack member that he had to deal with. And that, that I put that last bit the in record. There. I think I identify a lot with styles, um, but also with Derek because if you needed help, I'd come help you, but I would cuss you out if you'd done something dumb. Like, you know, like last time I had to bail my cousin out of jail, I... The last time. time. Right? (laughs) I cussed him the whole time. To the point where the cops who were, you know, involved in that process of me getting him were laughing their asses off. I questioned everything about his existence. In the most vulgar language I knew, all the way to my car. But you still came. But yeah. And then after, you know, I took him to an ATM so he could get me the money he owed me. Because I may be generous, but I'm not dumb. (laughs) That's right. Well, Peter being married with a kid is Fannin. That's Fannin. I don't believe Peter was married in canon. And the kid thing, um, yes, it's canon he had a kid, but he was very young when he had that kid. The whole Malia thing is a little bit... Yeah, Peter's age was all over the place. There, I think that he's as little as seven years older in canon than Derek to as much as like 17 or 20 years older than Derek. So it's... It's like they don't... It's like the people who made Team Wolf didn't even give a fuck about creating a series bubble, much less actually pay attention to it. So I would say between common fandom between common fandom tropes and fandom specific tropes because there are some fandom specific tropes that I got all in on um I think I have more tropes in less words than Kira does but yeah. um 
Typically, when you when it comes to fandom specific tropes, like when you're when you're going into a care, uh, especially character tropes like magical styles or good alpha Derek or uh, or uh, creepy Deaton or delusional Scott. When you get into those, or good parent Noah, when you get into those, um, although I think Noah being a good parent, he tr- at least from what I saw in the first two or three seasons, he really did try. So whatever, um, but when you get into those character tropes, um, those can really fade into the background. They don't typically, unless it's like every character is, is falling, is defined by a trope. It shouldn't really jump out as being use of a trope all that much. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's definitely a minor trope because it's really attached to the character. So it doesn't seem like it's, um, Yeah, they kind of know fandom. Fandom for a long time before they brought in Malia, they did make it seem like Jackson might be Peter's kid, but that was later found out to not be the case. Um, yeah, the actor wanted to leave the show, um, and he moved on. But uh, Peter, it, that's not, but. That was fandom. It w- that became a trope. The whole thing about um, Jackson being Peter's kid was a trope that came up when it was clear when they revealed that Peter had a kid and that Jackson was adopted. And so fandom connected dots that weren't ever there because then they brought in Malia, who is actually Peter's child, and Jackson moved to London. So um, fandom fandom will connect dots if canon doesn't get on with it and do it right and that's what happened there so i don't mind the trope i don't like go out of my way to avoid it or anything uh but it's not something i played with in any of my stories because i just i i usually write peter's having actually been married and had a child at the time of the fire now malia is the the Cody girl, right? That ate her adopted family. I didn't know she ate her adopted family, but yes, that's Malia. She's the rare coyote uh, who dates. There was child. apparently a car accident, and she ate her mother and her sister. Then she ended up in the woods. I did not know she ate people. See things yeah. I didn't know. Or was that Fannin? I mean, t- tell me, because I, I mean, I was. That's what I've read once. That she was in a car accident with her adoptive mother and sister, and um, she went feral wear coyote on them and ate them to survive. Maybe there's lots of typing going on in the chat room right now. Oh, she caused the car accident by shifting. Yeah, because I read enough story once that she ate them. So, uh, um, okay. and that's one of the reasons why she was all freaked out and living in the uh, woods. the The reason the car accident happened was because um, her actual mother, the desert wolf, who comes up later in the series, uh, when when Malia is nine years old, she attempts to assassinate her adoptive mother, which caused a car accident. 
The stress of the event paired with the full moon caused Malia to shift to her coyote form for the first time since she had no idea of her supernatural heritage or any control over her abilities. Um, oh, she did wind up attacking and killing. Um, Malia ended up inadvertently attacking and killing her adoptive mother and her sister before running away. The guilt of the act led to her living as a true coyote in the woods for the next eight years until she was discovered by Scott McCall and Stiles Stalinsky. Okay, so she just killed them. She didn't actually eat them. No, she did not eat them. Okay. Because in that story I read, she did. So maybe that was just them, you know, logical conclusions. She's living as an animal. There are a couple of bodies. I think Noah, though, um, processed the crime scene. Mm. I think, I think he was, wasn't he a deputy at the time? Oh, that's actually a trope that you hit. The Deputy uh, Hale. It's like my favorite trope in the Teen Wolf fandom. I love to read it where, uh, that, where Derek works for John, Noah. Well, <laughs> I, cer I certainly laid the foundation for it. Because it's not my favorite thing. He will be Deputy Hale in the next story, though. Because, why not? Like, one of my favorite Teen Wolf stories is where Styles... Um, Derek comes to the door mm -hmm. uh, and Styles answers mm -hmm. it and he thinks somebody sent him a stripper gram. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good story. Oh, it's my favorite one. <laughs> he's like, and like, he's actually there to speak to Noah. <laughs> or it might be John in that story. So, but either way, he's he, he's there for the sheriff. But for a moment there, um, Styles thinks he's there for him. <laughs> It's like whoa yeah that's a really good story if anybody has the link to that one we'll put it in the podcast link library i cannot for the life of me remember what that story is called i wouldn't even know how to go about finding it because you never know how teen wolf fandom is going to tag shit it might be tagged deputy hale it might not so yeah but so when it comes to thematic tropes, when you're thinking about um, Chad or Noah, uh, hmm, I would have stayed. I don't care. I'd have stayed. I'd have stayed hard on the John train for forever if I didn't, if I wasn't putting a John in another story, and I didn't couldn't have two characters named John. I just I, I got to avoid those kinds of shenanigans when I can. So I switched in that story. I switched the name out to Noah, and then once I'm going to go down the path with a Noah, with, with a character's name, it's just going to be one or the other. It's, it, I can't do both. So Adaptable was written before I made that decision. Do you want to go back and change it? Oh, I do. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do. I, I, it really drives me crazy that that inconsistency is there. Because he will always be Noah in stories now. Um, it's settled in my brain. You can um, do the find and replace pretty easily. Yeah, and it's not um, like it's an incompatible no. name, like a name that ends with an S. So... Um, yeah, right. That, that would be terrible. Um, I, I don't. I, I realize why they called him John to begin with because of Johnny and um, Mortal Kombat. I get it. Um, Noah John Stalinsky. John's <laughs> fans are gonna hold on to John. They're gonna hold on. Um, but I don't care either way. I mean, I was in the Stargate fandom for the years where Evan Lauren didn't have a first name. So, you know. Yeah. Actually, there are a ton of characters who never got names. 
Stackhouse and Markham. And actually, I don't think Chuck ever got a last name in canon. And the only reason he's Chuck Campbell in fandom is because the actor's last name is Campbell. Oh, is it? I thought his first name was Chuck. Oh, is, it, is the actor's first name something else? I thought that was just the actor's I don't know. name. It, it was never confirmed that Miko and Dr. Kasanji are the same person. No. No, I do believe his name is Peter Kavanaugh. Uh, yeah. Fandom, 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 blah, blah, blah. Fandom might have given him that name first, but I think it actually literally did become his name. I've seen Calvin a lot for Kavanaugh. Yeah, his name is yeah. Peter. It's definitely Peter. Um, so when it comes to thematic versus minor tropes, sometimes it all depends upon how it's applying. It does it apply to your whole thing. If it does, if it is an overarching thing, that is your thematic trope. And some things are very difficult to make a thematic trope. Uh but some things could go either way. And this will come up and be really relevant. So start putting your thinking caps on for like uh, almost a year and a half from now. Next November, you're going to write thematic tropes, not just any. So trope. And that means you're going to have to layer thematic tropes on top of. And your first themat thematic trope is the Sentinel. Um, that's the challenge. And then you're going to have to lay another one on top of it. Um, whether it be um, a Rule 63 or Time Travel or Soulmate AU or um, I think that I'm probably going to come out and say right now that I think Canon Divergence um, is not possible in that challenge because a Sentinel and Guide known universe doesn't leave room for Canon Divergence. You have to do a not Sentinels and Guides or known universe which there's only one way to do it. We talked, you and I talked about this last night. There's only one way to do canon divergence in that challenge. And that is um, someone coming online as a Sentinel for the very first time. Yeah. It's a very narrow lens to do canon divergence, but once you, and it's a 50 K challenge. So I don't think you should make things more difficult for yourselves than they already are. <laughs> yeah. And it is, that is a challenging plot line to tackle. Because you, you got to decide the angle you're going to go. Are you going to basically go down the path that they, that they went down in the canon and Sentinel, which is your characters keeping it a big secret, and you got to worry about who they're going to trust? In which case, you're kind of retreading path that has been trod. Or is this like the pre, you know, the, you know, the preliminary to a massive onlining, which is a little bit difficult to do in a 50k challenge? Um, I think that it you could do a soulmate trope and you could actually and you'll know, go all in on creating something really epic, but you gotta put the work in. Yeah. Um because yes, just doing a plain everyday soulmate trope on top of the Sentinel Guy Bond would seem like, like a cop out. So if 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 you're gonna do something like that, you, you, you have to bring it, you know, make it really um I just gotta dynamic. Burn. I just bunnied myself. Or somebody bunnied awesome. me. I don't know who to blame. I'm going to blame somebody, though. Blame Margaret. Well, she says, she's saying it can't be done. That's not a bunny. Oh, well, <laughs> are you blaming me? I might be blaming you. 
I, I think I'm going to blame you. I'll blame you and Margaret. I'll, I'll blame. I'll blame the discussion. No, I was just thinking that you could do a, a soul bonded thing where it's not something that um, happens often or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And ha- write. Just do some world building. If all you should do is like write. Do some world building around like sentinel guide pairs and what happens and what the difference between is between a normal sentinel guide bond and becoming soul bonded. And you know, I'd probably write it being very rare that soul bonding. You know actually happen and i'd probably delve right in with the with the mark trope with when a soul bond happened that they developed a mark of some kind um i have a, a work in progress um mcchef one with their sentinel and guide and john comes to atlantis after the fact um and uh they have um when they uh when sentinel and guide gifts emerge um they get a tattoo and that tattoo is their spirit animal. And the first time um, John takes his shirt off in the gym to work out, the rest of the expedition finds out his spirit animal is a dragon. Ooh, I like that. Um, I do think, yeah, I think, I do think it would be a cop out to do just a plain soulmate sentinel guide thing. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a bit of a cheat. It's a give me. But on the canon divergence, because you're putting the sentinel and guide on top, you're already creating an alternate universe and you can't diverge from an alternate universe. Yeah. It doesn't count as canon divergence. Um, I think the issue is not so much that most many people write the sentinels and guides, the sentinel guide bond as a soulmate type bond. Mm -hmm. Not everybody does. So, um, some people write them as more like working bonds or functional bonds. So you have to be kind of careful about like, um, because you don't want to make your fan and somebody else's fan in, uh, yeah. So, but if there's like if you if 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 you're of the type of person, and I'm all in on that, right? I've done it done it tons. If you're the person who writes a, you know, that's my guide, that's my sentinel, and you know that moment of recognition, that is very much a mirror of the soulmate trope. And so then, yes, you can't just say I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this the soulmate trope on top of the mirror of the soulmate trope. That's almost cancels your cancels yourself out. Right. So um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do um, a rule 63. So. I've got, I've got like, I, I have like no thoughts about <laughs> none. Um, but I do have some, some hurdles to overcome due to my own personal headcanon. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. You do have some hurdles to overcome. I do. So we'll probably, I'm sure next year, especially as we start pl- planning, getting, you know, psyching up for November, we'll definitely do more about good thematic tropes. But this was kind of like, um, we got to talking about thematic tropes and man, we had a hard time coming up with the word minor trope. I was like flailing about, I'm like, where's my thesaurus? <laughs> <laughs> we could not figure out how to label this podcast. It was a little ridiculous. Yes. Um, Hold my coffee is a spite fic. Is that like a trope? I think it probably should be. Well, it's only a spite fic against the person that 
told you not to do it. It's not spiteful in the thing right. itself. Author mo someone's thinking, oh my God, Kira, you wrote a hundred K of spite fic? Yes, I did. Author motivate <laughs> if if author motivation was a trope, which apparently TV tropes wants to think it us to think it is, motivation was a trope spite fit. Or at least <laughs> spites. Hello, rimming. So yeah. Inception has the rimming. We'll have to go ask them if we can borrow it. I, I, you know, I was reading, I was trying, oh, I, I can't I can say I read it. I tried to read it. I was trying to read something today and there's like this, I, I copied it off. There's this, this blowjob scene, right? And I was like, this feels like it's going on forever. And um, it was, um, it was, I said, is it as long as it feels like it is? And so I copied it off the, the blood, just the blowjob scene from they started blowing until somebody finally came and it was almost 5,000 words. 5,000 <laughs> words of blowjob. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. It was just, I was like, it's really feels like it's going on forever. And so I've I was chatting with a friend and I said, Oh my God, I just read it. Well, I didn't read. I skimmed a 5,000 word blowjob scene. And I said, that's fun. And I said, that's fun for no one. And she said, and her immediate response was except the person getting the blowjob. <laughs> Well, no, not really. I was like, I think he'd be changed I mean, by then. <laughs> and also, really, because there's such a, I mean, delayed gratification is a thing. But so is cock torture. And I think that that might actually cross the line. <laughs> see, it's the, the scene, I didn't get the vibe that the scene actually took that long in real time. It's just, I swear to fuck, the author was describing every lick. Um, I was just like, ugh. And, you know, apparently there's, there's, I mean, every head bob, I mean, it was all in there, along with pondering about taste and texture. You know, I was like, I, I, I my eyes are rolling back in my head. I like, I mean, a 500 word sex scene, maybe a thousand is the sweet spot for the whole thing, right? The whole thing. Don't, don't poke me, Ellie. He had it coming. Who had it coming? She she called me out on my BDSM orgasm tether spell and darkly loyal. Oh. Don't start none, won't be none. <laughs> that's Harry Potter's motto in that, in that story. They started it and he finished it. That's if right. they just left him alone, he'd have been very happy in Italy with his spouses. And they'd all lived. As my grandma always said, may you get exactly what you deserve. May you reap what you have sown. Uh, so yeah, 5,000 words for a blowjob, man. No. I, I 5,000 words for an entire sex scene is ridiculous to me. No, I, 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 oh. I mean, the longest sex scene I think I've ever read for a single sex scene was 7,000 words. It, it was torture. I mean, it sticks out in my mind as torture. I, I know there are people who routinely I mean, write the five. Were there, was there equipment? <laughs> Did they bring out tools? Unfortunately, no. I mean, was there like an apparatus? <laughs> no. Um, but in, with a 5,000 5, words, I mean, a thousand words to me, I, I, I'm kidding you not. I've seen some of the hottest sex scenes that I've ever seen have been around three or 400 words. Uh, it doesn't have to be 
that much detail, it, all believe me, all the hot is lost in 5,000 words, all of it. And, if, and honestly, with a blowjob, to me, even 2,000 words, all the hot's lost. <laughs> it's just, it's like, come on. I it, mean, it's a, as much as I enjoy reading sex and, and writing sex, there, there is a point where it's too much. Yes. It's just boring. And, but there's also the point of like, it, I want, I, I guess when it comes to sex scenes, this is probably a whole different podcast. I want, I want sex scenes that are, that feel like that they're doing something for that part of the story, that they're taking the relationship somewhere that it's just, I mean, it's really good angry sex or really good thank fuck we survived sex or just there's some reason for it to be there right but as opposed to just well it's been a 2000 words i guess i should write another sex scene it's like well i'm bored and the thing is look if you're using a metric to write sex scenes 2000 words is not the one no but also it maybe 10 10000 words would be good but also it, it becomes an issue of pace too, right? Because a story that just throws a bunch of sex scenes in that aren't furthering the emotional dynamic or the plot or something, it just starts to feel like, well, there was plot happening, but now they're having sex again. I'm like, can't I don't actually plot my sex scenes. I don't either. I mean, no. I mean, there's like one plotted sex scene in Unleash Your Demons, and that's because it's Loki's kind of breaking point, and the sex happens as a result of him having a little temper tantrum because Tony is not including him when he's f- fucking sweating spinal fluid over here <laughs> trying to prove himself. And so that's the only plot point where sex is even mentioned in my document. Yeah. The first time a couple has sex, it's always it's always in my plot where I know where that's going to be. But other than that, but all the other times, all the other sex is just it. It happened naturally where it happened. If it ha- it happens, if 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 it feels like it's going to do something for the story, it happens. But man, when you when I was reading something, I was enjoying the plot of, but it was like it kept getting derailed for a sex scene that was like, man, the plot was going somewhere. But I mean, it just murdered the pace of this story. It just. It was terrible. It was like good story murdered by sex. <laughs> How often do you get to say that? It's like this is a really good plot. It was destroyed by sex. And the reason it was destroyed is because there was no pace. That all of the buildup on the plot got ruined every single time by the dozen or so sex scenes. 14, 15. Which, you know. Someone asked a question about plotting. As um this is a good time to talk about it just real briefly and then we'll let you go because I'm an old lady and my bladder doesn't really allow me to sit for two and a half hours at any point. Anyways, um, I was doing a plotting 101 workshop in, um, in um, the Facebook group before I stopped using Facebook for, you know, just anything beyond an occasional emotional torture. I really, really freaking hate it. I really, 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 really hate it. Um, but I was thinking about making a group on MeWe just for the plotting workshop um, to kind of keep the content separate and to create um, some files and um, link the and then do like a separate podcast channel for the for the podcasts that, you know, are relevant to the plotting 101 and once i get all that established and accomplished in my brain and get it all figured out and planned i will post a link to it um in the writer's table on MeWe and elsewhere as 
as needed. So um, we'll get that back up and running and get it all worked out and fixed um, as soon as I figure out what I want it to do, how I want it to look. So, and then we'll do some podcasts focusing on that um, workshop and do some Q and A's and uh, do some kind of seminar type situations here on discord to talk about the actual plotting process. If that's cool with you guys. And if you're interested in, in being um, in that happening, if you're interested in that. Um, so, and once you've got a discord account, you can join as many servers. So for those of you who just joined the, the discord server to come here, you can join as many servers as you want once you've got the account. So if it's on a separate server, um, it, it won't be like you need a new account for that. You'll be good. Yeah. And, and if you're not on the just right server, you need to join the just right server. We will put a link up in the podcast link library for you to find it. Um, to, so that you can join us in craft discussion and in writing sprints. Um, and I can't honestly say anything has been, has done more for my productivity and I'll say in the last five years than writing sprints. Yeah, I agree. Probably for me in my I mean, it life. is like really, it's like, it's a game changer. I tried writing sprints in the past and hadn't liked them. Um, especially during Nano, I, I found them very um, confining and annoying. Um, it could be because of the way the group set them up and that you, you know, but when it comes to the writing sprints on Just Write, you just show up whenever you want to. And if someone's running sprints, they run sprints and then you can just participate. And it's very laid back and it doesn't feel like, uh, a race. Nano sprints always felt like I was racing against other participants and it was very stressful. Yeah. But the cooperative um, atmosphere on Just Right is, is fantastic. So it's, it's a very good place. It's a very good riding place. Um, now that also, just as the last, well, last announcement for me, now that Quantum Bang is done sometime in the next week or so, we'll be rolling out starting in the Fluff Bingo signups. Um, just there's a there's a channel for fluff bingo info over on just right so if you're interested in participating you know keep that channel unmuted so that you'll get an alert when it's time to sign up so we can send out the bingo cards uh and, and then, just to keep your juices flowing to yeah. keep your mind fluid and open and the best thing um as a writer um writing every day is um should be part of your of your everyday life if possible it's it really keeps you it keeps your creative um, juices open and flowing and everything works better if you're not. What is the naked Quidditch link? If, if we didn't actually talk about it on the pod, oh, this doesn't sound familiar. If we didn't actually talk about it on the podcast. Then no, it doesn't go in the library. That's just for stuff that got discussed on the podcast. So that people can find stuff that we talked about. Uh, Ah, okay. So they don't email me. Yeah. Um, as much. But <laughs> the, the Fluff Bingo is supposed to design to be easy and fun and to keep people kind of engaged with writing. Um, certainly, you only have to do one, um, one bingo, which is four stories, which would be one story per month. But I would certainly challenge anybody who participates to go for Blackout, which would be one story a week for the duration of the challenge and um, the story. You can also mix and match your fluff bingo with um, image prompts mm -hmm. to give yourself more inspiration. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, some people are going to want to do like fluff bingo is not going to be enough. So uh, it will be like if you want to do fluff bingo, if you want to do image prompts, whatever. But because the word count is low, because I don't want to burden people, some people are going to probably go off and do four 30,000 word fix. And that's totally fine. I am down for you doing 30,000 words of fluff. But some people are probably going to do closer to 1,000 to 2,000 words per story. And you can knock that out in a day and then go pick you up that mothership prompt. And, mm -hmm. and you know, actually, put them on a desert. It is officially Sunday. So I can go over there right now and put up the new one. I'm going to go put heart, uh, more heart, heart. What did I call that? Let me get over there. Well, in, in it's beautiful. All the hearts. Uh, she 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 said she her her the mothership prompts. I got a preview on them. That's just uh, and they need a desert or a deserted island. I don't care which. Just put them on it. <laughs> He's not a man whore. He is totally faithful to Tony. <laughs> Why do you keep calling him a whore? Because he's beautiful? That's so ugly. <laughs> I think because she used... I, this is me guessing. She used to be a Danny Steve shipper. And now she's totally down for the, with the mothership. And so Steve's a man whore because he jumped ships. Am I right? Uh, Am I... Yes. Yes. I knew it. We converted her. This is why he's a man whore. It's because we converted see? her. That's... But he's, that's my new prompt. Oh, let's go see. Which one is, I don't remember which one was number two. <laughs> which one was number two? Oh, daddy. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> it's Steve being all confident. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying the prompts. I'm doing um, a Harry Potter theme for Thursday prompts this month, and I'm doing um, a mothership prompt for, um, for, for for Sunday Discord prompts. And so, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm really enjoying the image gallery. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite penguin ever. Someone get a new penguin? Saving it. She posted a kiss my ass penguin. I have to save it. Anyways, you guys have a fantastic Saturday and um, or Sunday morning, whatever the if fuck it's there it for is. You. It's Saturday not for some, Monday for others. I don't know. <laughs> Whichever day you're listening to this, I hope you have a fantastic one and have a great evening and say good night, Jilly. Night, everyone.